Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Everybody, please put hey. a thumb in the air. Hey. Hey everybody, how you doing? Well, that's good. Welcome to Broad Street Hockey Radio. That's right, BSH Radio. My name is Bill Matz. I'm your director of fun and games for the evening. I don't know about you, but I'm having fun with these games. Uh, I don't know what there is to be negative about out there. They're beating what's they're beating the teams in front of them. We're going to talk about it. We're going to get into it. See what everyone else thinks. But I'm excited. Let's lead it off with the fly by herself, Kelly Hinkle. I got to tell you, William, I am also excited. And also, the thing that I'm most excited about, actually, is not even the performances that we've seen. It's that on Tuesday, ostensibly, we're going to have a 100% healthy lineup. And I'm very excited to see what that looks like. That's the, uh, let's wait till Tuesday to be so sure about the next <laughs> <laughs> This is 2020-21, so... Yeah, it's, it's really Monday know. It's Monday at roughly 2.34 p.m., so uh, we got some time. But yeah, I mean, listen, I've been saying on post-games, between the outdoor game and the next time they play Boston, there are 20 games in there. And, like, yeah, technically, they don't really mat Like, I mean, they matter. You have to win, like, a lot of them because you need to make the playoffs to be able to win the cup, but... We know that it's the Flyers and then Boston in this division. And, I, you know, there's a reason There's reason to be a little skeptical, but they could just play down to the competition, you know? Like, they do that, they that all the... Yeah. They do that all the time. The fact that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing is good. Like, no, we can't say, oh, they match up with Boston because they beat the shit out of the Sabres. But we can say they're supposed to beat the shit out of the Sabres, and they did. Like, that's still good, you know? I'm excited about that. It's, it's very good, and it was also very fun. Yeah, like, scoring goals and not allowing any is good every time. It's true. People Look, forget this. Like, Ottawa has wins this year. Sometimes bad teams win. It's good to beat the shit out of Buffalo. The, from TheAthletic.com, Charlie O'Connor. Hey, everybody. So, for my quick hit, I'm going to actually quote a, a Twitter user who um, who sent me a message, if, you know, I guess this morning, eight hours ago. And it, it did make me have to, like, recalibrate kind of where my head is at. 
uh, with regards to general feelings surrounding the Flyers. And the point that Anthony Gentle made was, please stop assuming the 200 to 300 negative fans on Twitter represent the thousands upon thousands of Flyers fans who either aren't on Twitter or are on Twitter and are positive about the team and the results. I know it's not easy, but try, please, for your own sanity, LOL. So (laughs) I'm going to try. I'm going to try and operate under the assumption that most Flyers fans after watching the games this weekend, did not immediately think, oh, well, it's Buffalo, doesn't count, don't care. And actually, we're excited to watch the Flyers play pretty damn good hockey for two consecutive games, and they even played pretty well against the Rangers a few days before that. So, not saying everything's perfect by any means, but I'm going to acknowledge that possibly Twitter might not be the most representative (laughs) sample size no uh, overall flyers fan center that's it's important it's not even it's not even everyone on twitter it's like seven very loud people no there's either i mean i had a lot of people in my mentions yesterday yeah charlie had a lot of replies on a couple of tweets when i when i dared to posit that possibly the flyers (laughs) are good again and it was (laughs) a lot of people were horrified that I would dare posit that the pl- the Flyers might actually be playing like a good team. It Can was, was it Will? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so. But it was it was shocking to me, like how many people just were not willing to accept that the Flyers can play well and the other team can play poorly, and both of those things can be happening at the same time. It's not <laughs> just that Buffalo sucks; it's that Buffalo sucks and the Flyers play very good hockey, and we are allowed to be happy about that weird yeah and that's there's two important points there one like someone on post game asked me are the flyers this good or is boston that bad and my answer was yes like (laughs) yes both Uh, like it's yes and two like it is important to remember like twitter is the smallest of the social media platforms and in that small community like, 70% of all tweets come from, like, 3% of the accounts. Like, it is a very vocal minority of people who say anything on Twitter. Uh, like, it's... I know we all live there, and it's a community, and it helped build this show, but it is not representative of, like, the real world. What's Facebook like in Flyers land? Is it positive? <laughs> I couldn't I, tell I, you. I don't even want to go down that road. <laughs> yeah, because I'm sure they're just Facebook. talking. I'm sure they're just talking about the Kate Smith statue still. Like <laughs> they don't. They don't know the fucking season started. Like it's just. It's just that. It, like well, you know. I think they're pretty positive, but I don't. I don't. I have spend no idea. A lot of time over there, so <laughs> I don't have a Facebook. As soon as we stopped doing. Facebook Live for the post games. I got rid of Facebook because I did no. Lo- I no longer had a use for it. Hmm. Uh, last but certainly not least, Stephalicious D. Steph Driver. So we found out this week that Travis Konechny is going to be a father. <laughs> Congratulations to Travis and his girlfriend Carly. But what? I don't know if I can think of <laughs> one person less suitable. <laughs> To be responsible you know, for another I'll, human life. I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you, a lot of my friends have kids, and mm-hmm. the ones the ones who I was the most skeptical over turned out to be really good dads. Really? I'm sure he's going to be a good dad. That's not it. But he's also responsible for another human life. 
That's the part I'm concerned about. There's there's a lot of chaotic energy yes. surrounding <laughs> Travis Kane. <laughs> that is yeah, very I mean, accurate. You know, like he's he's rich. He'll be fine. You know. <laughs> That's incredibly true. End of the day, I, like end of the day, you make five six million bucks, you'll be fine. Like, yeah. do you remember the story about how he moved into an apartment <laughs> and didn't realize he needed pots and pans? Like, yeah, Giroux and Jake, like, they'll help him. They'll give him some advice. He's got a dad, you know? See, here's the thing, though, Steph. That's true. And he's got a good relationship with his dad, too. You're you're not going, any of these sort of things you're throwing out there, they're not going (laughs) to convince Bill, because Bill's just thinking to himself, oh, God, that was me. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm 32. I, I am in no way ready to have a kid. I'll have one eventually and I'll figure it the fuck out. Like Travis I think that's what everyone like the rest does. of us. Yeah, I don't yeah. think anyone is ever actually ready to have That's kids. actually true. That's very yeah. true. One is presented to you and you figure it the fuck out. Yeah, you either you either, you know, put it in the dumpster or you raise it. Like <laughs> don't be the first one. Don't don't put it in the dumpster. Do that. That is actually a felony. Don't yeah, do don't that. Don't do that. Take it to a firehouse. Jesus Christ. Which is safe or a hospital. <laughs> Just raise the damn kid. Okay. Or um, raise the damn kid. Okay. Oh, God. So results. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's let's get into the actual show now. Um, the Flyers are 11-1-1 against not Boston. That's uh, a wild stat. Like, it gets cited a lot. And I'm skeptical. Like, I'm inherently skeptical skeptical of this whole idea that like you can just like take games out of the sample size and like, oh well, this is the real Flyers. But like, it is wild that they've only lost one game in regulation no, I, to a team not. Named I don't think. Team. I don't think it's the real Flyers. I just think it shows the difference between Boston and Philly. Boston at one, Philly at two, and then the whole rest of the goddamn division. Like, yes, the Penguins are good, Washington is good, the Islanders are good, but they're not those two teams, and Boston clearly has Philly's number, at least, with the shortened lineup that they've played against them with. I I don't think it's representative of who the Flyers really are. Like, you know, what, 22, 23 out of 25 points isn't who anybody is. That's impossible. But... They're pretty fucking good, right? Like, I'm not saying they're elite. I'm not saying they're as good as Tampa or any of those. But the results are the results. And now they're actually playing well, too. Yeah. I mean, it's it's tough because for a long portion of the season, the underlying process was not good. We all acknowledge that. And it wasn't just the numbers. All you needed to really be doing was watching the team. And you could tell that even though they were winning... They weren't playing all that well. Now they are starting to play legitimately well. You know, regardless of who they played, they're taking apart teams for the first time we've really seen this entire season them do it. And for everything that we complained about the team over the first month of the year, they did still win. And in the end, like, if we're, if we've basically decided that this season is going to be judged by how far they go in the playoffs. You know, okay, we're at the point now where this is the opening of a window. We're trying to win a championship. Then really, the only goal of the regular season is to get in the playoffs. Yep. And for all the issues they had with their process, they furthered that goal 
even while things were bad because they kept winning. And now, hopefully, they're figuring out the process and they can, you know, slowly but surely improve, improve, improve so that if and when they get in the playoffs, they're playing like a team that can actually do what we want them to do in the playoffs. Yeah, like the whole, like, accumulate points, be the first or second seed in the East, get to the final four. That's it. That's what this team needs to do. And I'll tell you what I'm, like, most excited about. They're shooting again. 39, (laughs) 39, 37 shots. Farabee's passing a little too much. I'm a little concerned about, I'm a little concerned about my boy. He's starting to pass a little too much. But the rest of the team is shooting, and that's good. Like, uh, they just gave themselves so few chances to score goals earlier in this season. It was incredible that they were scoring as much as they did. But now, they're kind of starting to take over and play the way they're supposed to play. I realize it's against lesser competition. Like, the Rangers stink, and they don't have Artemi Panarin. And the Bruins, or, and the Sabres stink, and they didn't have Eichel for the first of the two. But... They're doing what they're supposed to be doing, and some guys are starting to come around. And that's what I wanted to start with. Steph seems to have just left us, so we won't get to Nolan Patrick until she rejoins. Uh, <laughs> but I wanted I wanted to start with Oscar Limblom because Oscar Limblom, uh, first game or two, looked like, oh, wow, he's back. You know, he, he looked like Oscar, and then... You know, the season wore on and it was like, oh, he has some he has some catching up to do. Like and it's you know, he had fucking cancer. Like the dude went through yeah, chemotherapy yeah. not that long ago. Like it's not crazy to think he had some catching up to do, but then the COVID break, you wanted to know what you would see out of Limblom when he came back. I love what I'm seeing so far. How about you guys? He does look really good so far. I've actually been quite surprised by how good all of the guys coming back from COVID have looked. It is kind of wild. Yeah. It's like, it's almost like they were just like having a little chill vacation and recharging their batteries. And now they're back and they're just kicking all kinds of ass. Yeah. Well, you know, it does seem like the Flyers players, you know, got lucky, mm-hmm. not lucky to get COVID, but they got lucky in the sense that like everybody seemed to avoid serious long-term symptoms. Yeah. So, you know, from all my conversations with the guys who have spoken to us about it, which is pretty much everyone except Connect Me because he just came off the list on Sunday, and we haven't talked to Justin Braun yet, but basically everyone, with the only, with the exception of Jake Voracek, who just didn't have any symptoms, period, like, everyone essentially said that they felt sick for, like, two or three days, and then the rest of it, they felt fine, they were just waiting. Like, they were just waiting to be allowed out of isolation. And I do wonder if part of it was, you know— We've always known these guys are talented. You know, we've always known that this team has the ability to be a good team, that these players have the ability to be very good players. Maybe a lot of them just spent those 10 days, you know, watching tape and trying to do some self-evaluation of what they needed to do better. And maybe they identified some problems and they kind of came back and they're like, okay, you know, I did my, my two weeks of studying. Now I'm ready to take the test. And they're yeah. racing it. I mean, Limblom looked. I thought Limblom was good on Sunday. I thought he was great on Saturday. Yeah, Braun mm-hmm. had his best game of the year after being awful, pretty much from the start of this season. He comes back and he looked like the Braun from last regular season. And I was expect. I was like, God, like if, if he was if he was this poor before COVID. Imagine how poor he's gonna look. He's mm-hmm. already a guy who's a bit you know slow from a skating standpoint. Looked like he lost his step. Now he's got a disease that or a virus that you know, attacks his lungs, 
like, God, how gassed is he going to be now? And he came back and he looked really good. So, you know, maybe it was just as simple as some of these guys need a kind of a reset and they've gotten it and maybe it's helping them. Maybe it's just adrenaline and maybe some of them are drop off, but I don't know. Maybe in a way, you know, because they got lucky enough not to have major symptoms, maybe it gave them the chance to reassess where they were and come back stronger. That's we're going to get into in a little bit how maybe this idea of some rest this year could affect AV's decision making with the lineup going forward but i want to stick with a couple of uh, a couple of guys who have looked really good since the team has returned uh let's jump to Shane Gostasbear um holy shit is ghost back Seriously. like again again granted it's not against boston it's not against uh, the top level competition but He's starting to look like himself for the first time. We were happy with the way he was playing. We were encouraged with the steps he was taking. But he's starting to look like himself again a little, no? I mean, he didn't look good against shitty teams when he was playing poorly. It's not like he was only struggling against good teams. And now he just flat out looks really good. And that, I think, is, for me, probably the the most surprising and also like kind of the most beneficial thing that the team has gotten this year because the defense is such a problem and they really needed warm bodies on it. Having him playing well is like an instant solution that I'm not sure. I I don't know that I was expecting him to look this good. I'll put it that way. Yeah, he he had said, um, because we got access to him after Sunday's game. Um, We didn't get access to him after the the first, you know, the the fewer he was scoring. He didn't score on Sunday, but I thought he played well. Um, And I asked him, you know, specifically kind of like, do you think your game has reached another level over this last little stretch? Or like, do you think it's just kind of like the puck's going in for you? And he flat out said, which I thought was interesting, um, and it makes all the sense in the world, that, you know, when he rejoined the lineup this year, and he was immediately placed on the top pair with Ivan Provorov because who the hell else were they going to put on that top pair at that point? Yep. He came in with the mentality of, okay, I'm being put on the top pair. This is my chance to to reestablish myself as a part of this team. I'm going to primarily focus on making sure my defensive game is as good as it possibly can be. Because if I don't, I'm going to lose this opportunity and then I, my you know my career with the Flyers very well could be over in the near future. So he focuses on his defense, and he played pretty well. Like I think yeah. he was playing fine from the the minute he came back. But obviously, the aggressive offensive element to his game was not there. He'd only had one point, I think, through his first nine games. And I, I pointed this out in my column today that if you weren't watching the Flyers on a daily basis you would look at his stat line and think, oh yeah, Shane Gossespair is still struggling. You know, is he still, he's not back. He's, you know, because he's an offensive defenseman and if an offensive defenseman doesn't have points, then what's he doing? Anybody watching could tell that he was playing much better at the very least than he did last year. And he was playing a more sound game. But what you've seen over these last few games, I think, is that now Gossespair believes that he's got a handle on this defense thing. So it's like, okay, I've got that down. I figured out what I need to do. Now let's bring back some of the flash. And I think that's what you saw in the Rangers game. It's what definitely what you saw in the Buffalo game. And really, I saw that in the second Buffalo game as well on the power play. I mean, they didn't score, but I thought he looked real good on that, no, on that top unit. He looked with the, yeah. with, with Drew. He looked good. He looked <laughs> dynamic. He looked aggressive. He was firing away. He was finding you know players with with good passes. So. 
this might have just been sort of a necessary process for him in the sense that he wasn't going to come back and immediately look like the flashy ghost because almost in his mind, like he didn't, he hadn't yet earned the right to do that. And now that he's like, okay, I think I'm doing my job defensively. Now let's try to bring that other element that I really love doing back in. And that shows quite a bit of maturity for a guy who just a couple of years ago, uh, like they asked him how he was going to change his game. And he basically said, I'm saying fuck it and doing what I want to (laughs) do because everything they keep telling me what to do, I keep getting betched. So I'm just going to do it. So like it does show quite a bit of maturity. And I did think like once he got one, like once he just got a puck to go in for him, regardless of it was luck, it was a bomb, however he got it to go in. We know how, like, um, I don't want to say how much of a head case he is, but we know how much of a head case he is. Yeah. Confidence is a huge part of his game. Once he got that one, I thought it would just unlock a lot more. Like, he'd need to be lucky to get better. And I think it's starting to really come around for him. I don't know if we're getting Steph back. We are not so, getting Steph okay. back. Okay. Uh, Nolan Patrick. He's playing with Claude Giroux and Kevin Hayes on the uh, 3C line. Um... The line is doing well. He's made some things happen. How are we assessing Nolan Patrick right now? The last couple of games, he's looked noticeably better, I think. On the whole, I've been a bit disappointed in him this season. Um, but over the last couple of games, since they moved him to wing, he's looked good. I don't, I don't know if that's what the deal is there, if it's just like less pressure on him not being the center of the line, but... He finally looks like he is I I ugh, it's a good thing Steph's not here. It finally looks like he's like trying <laughs> and like, you know, really working for things. A lot of times it just doesn't look like he is. And that might be like a Jeff Carter thing where like yeah, Jeff Carter yeah. never looked like he was trying and Mike Richards always looked like he was trying and, and everyone hated Jeff Carter because it didn't look like he gave a shit. That but when Jeff Carter no didn't look like he was trying, he was still scoring 30 goals. He was goals. still scoring a lot of goals, <laughs> right. Yeah, that's the thing. So I don't know if it's just that he's so talented that he doesn't need to look like he's trying. Um, but it finally looks like he's trying, I think is is what I'm trying to say. I mean, I don't think it's a case that he's not trying, but I do agree, Kelly, that it certainly looks like it because I just think that his problem, I I hate like the idea of like a player isn't trying, a player is showing a lack of effort. Like that does happen, but I don't think it happens nearly as much as fans want to believe. Yeah, And I don't think that's the problem with Patrick. If he wasn't trying, the coach would sit him. Like straight up. Exactly, (laughs) yeah. So I think the problem with Patrick Moore is just that, like, sometimes he doesn't necessarily look engaged with the play. Mm -hmm. Like, he's kind of like, he kind of like seems that he's waiting for the play to come to him rather than going out and actually taking over. That's a good way to put it. it. And it's, it's, it's frustrating, you know, as someone who watches the team, because then he does sometimes. And you think to yourself, why don't you do this all the time? Mm -hmm. Because you can, you have the skills to do it. You just don't. And you're hoping that at some point, you know, the, 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 the switch flips for him and he does it on a regular basis. We've seen it over stretches. We've seen it for, for in bits and pieces within games. Even this year, I've seen it more these last couple games. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for all the criticism that he's gotten over the last few weeks in particular, like, you do have to remember that he's missed a lot of time. You know, it was probably always going to take him time to get back into rhythm. He has a pretty good excuse for why 
he's not playing up to what we hope is his potential. But as I pointed out on the show before, like one of the the issues with Patrick is that like we don't know what his ceiling is. Yeah. So because of that, you just, you know, you're hoping he gets back to where he was and then you're hoping he takes another step forward, but you don't even know if he's capable of taking that step forward because it's still all potential with him. And that's kind of where he's at right now. You know, we still don't really know what we actually have in Nolan Patrick. And you're crossing your fingers and you're hoping that it, it keeps trending upward. Because I do think he's played better recently. And I don't even yeah. know I don't even know if that's him being on the wing as much as him being on a line with Claude Giroux. That's fair. Yeah. And also yeah. Kevin Hayes, who like Hayes has been iffy, but like if you look at his underlying numbers this year, they're great. He's you know, still he's, a very good player. Like Yeah, like I, I think it, it's been more that like he's on a line with one player who's one of the Flyers' best players and another player who's up there, yeah. not on Drew's level, certainly not on Couturier's level, but Hayes is pretty damn good. And he's just getting help by playing with really good players. That said, I mean, he's probably going to get moved in the near future. Might get moved as soon as Tuesday because presumably got to get Travis Konechny back in there and somebody's coming out of the lineup. So that's And that's where I wanted to go next is that's kind of, it looks like with the way the other lines are playing, and we were told, like, this is temporary. We're just trying to get Nolan Patrick going, and then he's going back to center. Now, of course, if he, like, killed it at wing, you'd figure something out, but we were kind of told this is temporary. That kind of looks like TK's spot in the lineup. Does Nolan Patrick, like, does he become your 4C? Is that where this is headed? Is it going to be him, Aube, Bell, and Raffle? Because, like, we're talking about he looks good, but he's playing with Claude Giroux and Kevin Hayes, I think you'd be fine with that fourth line. Like it's, it, there's a decent amount of talent there, but is, is that where we're headed or it, could this be someone else coming out of the lineup? Could it be Nolan Patrick taking a seat? What are we looking at here? Yeah. I mean, I've heard people theorize that maybe you pull Nolan Patrick out of the lineup for a little bit. Maybe you do some, some cycling of, of guys because obviously it's a really busy schedule coming up. My view with Nolan Patrick is that I wouldn't pull him out of the lineup because, to me, playing guys like him and Limblom in the first half of the year, it's almost like you're investing in the second yeah. half. You're giving them time when they're not playing their best so that hopefully when the games really start mattering in the second half in the playoffs, you get that paid back in full by the yeah. fact that now they're sharper. Like I don't think either of those guys are going to... It's it's not going to help either of those guys to sit. They need to play. They need to play. They need to get into rhythm. They need to figure out what they can and can't do. And they need to slowly get themselves to where the Flyers need them to be. So I don't think sitting Patrick helps in that regard. And yeah, I don't think that's... that like I don't think that Connor Bunneman is so good that the Flyers can't afford to take him out of the lineup. Seriously, you know what I mean? exactly. yes. I, I don't. There there does seem to be some investment fan wise in the idea of that Connor Bunneman fourth line. And it's been, you know, fine. It's not been outstanding. It's there's nothing wrong with it, but the idea that you would remove a better player to keep Connor Bunneman in the lineup doesn't make any sense to me at all. And I mean like if it's one game and it doesn't look like Nolan Patrick can play that role, alright, maybe we revisit. But I just don't see the logic behind 
taking Patrick out if the guy you're keeping in is Connor fucking Bunneman. Like if and this was Morgan Frost, like if this was Morgan Frost, we were talking about and Morgan Frost was playing really well. Like I realize it's the fourth line, but just hypothetically, like a skilled guy who gives you more than just like eight minutes of not getting beaten. Like, what's the point? Like, let's see if Patrick mm-hmm. can do it. Yeah, and I, I, I guess you don't really want to mess with that third line right now. That's kind of the problem. Well, I, I mean, they certainly don't want to mess with the the you know JVR Couturier Farabee line. I mean, that line's yeah. been very good. Um, the Bunneman and AK Raffle line, yeah, it's you know it's fine. Um, I don't it's think the, you know the Lawton line. Like, you know, yeah, you know, Limblom has been playing pretty well, and Voracek's been fine, and Lawton's got a goal. But like, I'm not wedded to that line as something that you have to keep together. Like, I just you know, if if you have to juggle things, and maybe even drop Lawton back down to four C and stick Patrick in between Voracek and um, you know, and, and Limblom. You know, maybe that works. That was a line they tried earlier this year. You know, maybe that is enough support for Patrick at this point. But then again, then you're sticking Patrick with Limblom on the same line. They're both trying to get back to where they are. So it's tough. Um, You know, in all honesty, the path of least resistance in terms of setting the lineup is probably to take Patrick out. Because then you just literally just swap Patrick in for Konechny or Patrick out for Konechny, keep the other three lines the same, and then boom. But I'm. I'm not in favor of it, of it because I think that Nolan Patrick, you want him playing. And if you have to shift things around a little bit to accommodate that, I'm cool with that. Um, but I will acknowledge that taking Patrick out and replacing him with Konechny is probably the path of least resistance if you're trying to minimize the amount of shuffling you have to do for Tuesday. Hmm. And I, don't I think there's time. another there's another part of this Travis Konechny has to hold up his end as well. Like, Fair. Travis Konechny was not playing well before this whole COVID break and him coming out of the lineup. Like, he's got to be good too. This is a team that has a lot to accomplish. He's a big part of it. If we're going to be taking guys out of a lineup that just won three games in a row, like, he's got to hold up his end. That's a really good point. He has been a bit of a disappointed so- disappointment so far this season. I mean, I'm not, I'm not gonna, you know, write Travis Konechny off by any means. Um, oh no, not I, off. No, no. I, I think, I think he was working through the adjustments he needed to make um, after that, the, the scratching. You know, he was focusing a little bit more on defense, trying to find that balance, and then you know, the COVID pause hit, and he hasn't played since the COVID pause. So it's given people, you know, a month of stewing about Travis Konechny rather than just like him playing and inevitably breaking through out of this slump. Yeah. Because he's a really good player and I'm confident that at some point he was going to break through out of the slump. Like we just talked about how a lot of the guys coming back from from COVID played pretty well. Like maybe Travis Connecty scores two goals on Tuesday and then suddenly it's like, okay, everything's fine. Like you gotta put him back in the lineup if he's ready to go because he's an impact player. And again, you know, we just talked about the idea of you're investing in guys like Limbaugh and Patrick by playing them now when they're not at their best. It's the same thing with, with, with Konechny. Like, if you're going to go far in the playoffs, Travis Konechny has to be a major part of that because he's one of your most talented forwards. So, like, let's not overthink this. Like, I think Konechny will figure it out, and he needs to be given every opportunity to do so as long as the effort and the attention to detail that the coaching staff wants, as long as that's there, you know, let him work through his stuff, and hopefully it doesn't take him that long to work through it. 
So points percentage wise, last I looked, they might have been best in the division. Um, they're getting the full lineup back. Like TK might be back as soon as Tuesday. Things are looking up. How are we? How are we to assess what they've been and what they should be going forward? Like start the year, they're winning. Process is bad. They can't beat Boston. Suddenly, process is good. Uh, they're beating up on these bad teams. Are they figuring it out? Are they getting to where we think they should be? Like, is that what these next couple of weeks before they play Boston are about again? Like, uh, we, I, we talked last week, and I said, I want a 750 points percentage in the 20 games in between Boston. It looks like they're pretty much on the on the path for that. Now, uh, again, like, they're going to have some tougher games against Pittsburgh and Washington, but they're better than those teams. How should we assess them over these next couple of weeks? Like, I mean, I, they're I figuring it out thing, or? I don't even know if, if they're figuring anything out. I think it's just that Couturier and Drew are really, really good players. And they yeah. didn't have them for almost the entire season, both of them together. And now they do. And now they look really good. Like, I don't I don't know why it has to be like a discussion or an analysis or whatever. The team was without a lot of good players for long stretches of this season and yeah. now they're not. It, it seems very simple to me. Like the process has been getting better, but also they're they're just now a full strength team. We're going to see what this team actually is. We've talked about it before. We have not seen them at all. Oh yeah. And like And now we are. As bad as, like, that outdoor game was. Like, I did a radio hit a couple days after it, and I'm being asked, like, why KO, Why is it so bad against Boston? I'm like, I'm not saying throw that game out because it happened. We all saw it. It was on national TV. But, like, that was not an NHL team. No, <laughs> they didn't have close. half the... They didn't have half the roster on the ice. Like, and it Andy wasn't Andrioff... Like is yeah, the closest even, thing they have to a forward on It's the not even line. like they're they're missing the bottom half of their yeah. lineup. They're missing most of the top half of their lineup. It's not a small thing that we should just disregard as no, like, them figuring shit out. Your fourth line wingers are now your second line wingers and your fourth line wingers <laughs> are fucking defensemen. <laughs> right. Like, it's, it's not an NHL team. Yeah. I mean that was why and like don't get me wrong. The outdoor game was painful because oh, of the way it happened. It, it happened. You know, with, with, with Carter Hart struggling. It yeah. was a tough game to watch. And it was hard because it was a national TV game. So you had a lot of casual fans jumping on and being like, ah, why are you so excited about this Flyers team? They're trash. And that's annoying because, you know, we're invested in this team. You know, we want, it's not just that we want this team to be good. We want other people to be excited about this team. And that was a game that really may have served to damper some of the excitement from the casuals. Not saying you can't get them back if the Flyers go on a real run, but it's a game people were paying attention to, and the Flyers didn't play well for very obvious reasons. But part of the reason why over the last few weeks that I wasn't freaking out as much as some people is because I had sort of been noticing the team trending upward before the pause. Like, they played those games against the Islanders, and the Islanders were the team they couldn't beat. And they swept them. Were they close games? Yeah. Were there issues with the way they played? Sure. But they beat the friggin' Islanders. The team that they couldn't beat, they beat them twice. That was big to me. 
Then they go play Boston in those two home games, and yes, they lost both of them, but they played pretty well in both those games. Both I called those, those two of their best games of the season. Game. Yeah, both of those games could have definitely went either way if a couple bounces go the other direction. Flyers could have swept those games. Then they get Couturier back. They explode for seven goals in Washington, and it's like, yeah, they're starting to figure this shit out. Then COVID hits. So then they're off the ice for a week and a half. They come back. They play the Rangers. And yeah, they lost that game. But I watched that game and I was like, the only real problem, there were two problems they had in that game. The first problem was the bottom half of their lineup delivered nothing. Which, like, understandable, those guys shouldn't even be playing. The second problem was they had the puck a lot. They were doing a lot of good things. They just weren't shooting. So it was like, okay, if you can just get guys healthy, shoot the damn puck a little bit more, and retain the process-related gains that you made before the COVID pause, this could come together pretty quickly. And it did. Like, the minute they started getting guys back, and they started pulling the guys out of the lineup that never should have been there in the first place, and they started shooting the puck more because the coaching staff clearly was like, shoot the goddamn puck, guys. (laughs) Suddenly, things are good. And I don't think that, my, I guess my point is, like, I don't think this came out of nowhere. Yeah. You could, you could really see the pieces being added, slowly but surely. And to me, this weekend was not a, oh, they just dominated because it was Buffalo. Yeah. This weekend was a, we've been building to this, and yeah, it was even more, like, obvious that they were playing well because Buffalo is a dumpster fire, but, like, this was coming for a while in my mind and this was just the culmination of a lot of good things that have been slowly building that only got paused because there was an outbreak of the pandemic yeah that's like if not for those two weeks off like we would have seen the build actually happen rather than like against you know they they were gonna play washington again they were gonna have more games it wasn't just okay they're back they just lose to the fucking Bruins on a nationally televised game, and now they're playing bad teams, so they're winning. Like, we would have seen more of the build had it not been for those two weeks off. So I agree with you there. Uh, I have I have a theory I want to run by you guys, and then we're going to take a quick break. All right. I think I understand the not shooting thing. I believe it was, I believe it was Saturday's game. Uh, they go to intermission... Someone has to, you know, do the post, uh, do the intermission interview. And it's Ghost, he just scored. He's huffing and puffing, he's got to answer questions, he just wants to go sit down in the locker room for 15 minutes. I think guys just don't want to do the interview, so they don't want to shoot, because then it'll go in and they'll have to do it. (laughs) Good a reason as any. You know? Just like, yeah, like, Drew, Hayes, like, these guys, they know how to talk to the goddamn media, so let them shoot. Everyone else, like, nah, we're not doing it, because then we gotta answer fucking Jonesy's questions. Like, (laughs) alright, that's it. We're gonna take a quick break, be back on the other side with some uh, goalie controversy talk. We'll be back in just a second. This is Advertiser Content, brought to you by Frito-Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight we'll break down... We break down who will be cutting... Cut! What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. 
and I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys, it's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are. It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snack It. We're talking about big time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. Just go to frito No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void wherever hip Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. All right. Hey, everybody. We're back. Uh, I, I, I teased a little goalie controversy there on the, uh, on the outro, and uh, Charlie's eyes immediately just rolled into the back of his head. He almost <laughs> passed out. Uh, here's the thing about a goalie controversy, though. Typically, a goalie controversy in Philadelphia, there's just two bad options, and you don't know what the fuck to do. It appears as if the Flyers have two guys who can actually play. Uh... And that's pretty good because the Flyers don't have consecutive days off again until April 1st and 2nd. That's um wild. a God, wild. This month is a nightmare. Yeah, it's, we're working every day this month, fam. That's why I went to sneak this. That's why I went to sneak this podcast in today. Oh. I don't know when we're gonna do it again. Uh, <laughs> so starting with Saturday's 3-0 win against Buffalo, the Flyers are playing 40 games in 73 days. So they have what 38 in 71 days left, or something. Um, they just played their first of nine back-to-backs in that stretch. Jesus Christ. Hold- <laughs> this is insane. We're all going to die. So, like, how much should Brian Elliott uh, play? And can you envision a scenario? Because this came up after the game on Saturday. Can you envision a scenario where maybe it becomes Brian Elliott's net for a little oh, bit? Oh, for fuck's sake. No. I'm not saying no. he starts. I'm not saying he starts every game. Say it's like 55 45. In favor of Elliott? Yeah. No. He's playing better. He's at what point? He's playing very well, but as we have been over a million fucking times with Brian Elliott, the more you play him, the worse he gets. He's Hence the conundrum. I I know. So so okay. Maybe he gets a couple of back to back starts here and there. You do not turn Brian Elliott into your number one goaltender, or you will all die. We saw it happen (laughs) with Dave Haxall. You can't start him eleven times in a row. Okay. That's I'm not advocating for 11 starts in a row. I'm not saying the entire month of December. I'm just saying at what cuz I'm going to bring this up with Zade Wisdom in a, in a little bit. At what level of killing it have you just earned it? You know, regardless of who's in front of you, regardless of extenuating circumstances, at what level of fucking killing it is it just yours? He's 5-1 and 0 with a 931 save percentage and a goals against of 2. Like He's, He's playing really good. well. Bill, to answer your question, there is none. And, and I'm, I'm sorry. There okay. is no level of killing it for Brian Elliott to make him the starting goalie no. on this team because his body cannot handle yes. it. Yes. It's as simple as that. Yes. There is he, like... He, 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 could, he could have five straight shutouts and I would still want him getting days off. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. like a, a supply and demand graph here where you find the point at which... <laughs> You start Brian Elliott the fewest number of times that you can while still giving Carter Hart time to breathe during a stretch 
that's absolutely insane schedule wise that's the number i don't know what that number is it's not my job to figure it out but you start brian elliott as little as you need to and you get really good games out of him and also like we've been talking about with the other guys that have been struggling a bit carter hart's not gonna get better sitting on the bench so if you've had a problem with the way that he's been playing he needs to play more to get over it and to the point uh, like this team's really struggled against Boston and killed everyone else. Hard against Boston, o two and two with an eight forty three save percentage. Goals against over five. Hard against everybody else, six one and one with a save percentage. I didn't update it for Sunday, but let's call it nine twenty ish against everyone who isn't Boston. So while Hart has kind of struggled this year, he's been pretty good against everyone. That's the team that, except for the team that they cannot beat. Like, yeah, it's and, not and, like he's been as bad as his numbers. And, and to be clear, Bill, like, I'm not saying that Brian Elliott should be relegated to pure backup status. I mean, he certainly earned the right to play more games. And at, what, every week this month they have, they have four games, I think? Yeah. So, I mean, some weeks you're probably going to go 2-2. Two and two. Some weeks you're going to go 3-1, I think still with, with Hart leading it. But some weeks, if the schedule works and if Elliott's feeling good, yeah, you probably are going 2-2. Two, two. But there's no scenario in my mind, regardless of how well Brian Elliott is playing, where Brian Elliott gets more of the starts than Carter Hart, because I completely agree with Kelly in that you can't trust Brian Elliott to stay healthy if he's getting that many starts. And if he gets hurt, then we get into Alex Lyon world, and then we get into, okay, you know, could we possibly end up having to play Felix Sandstrom? Do we have to sign you know, McIntyre to an NHL level contract because we need a better goalie than Felix Sandstrom. Like this gets ugly quick if Brian Elliott goes down, especially because the backup's gonna have to play with this insane schedule. So you gotta find that balance of yes, Elliott deserves to play. He's earned the right to play. Yes. Even if Elliott hadn't earned the right to play, you were gonna have, have to play, to play a fair yeah. amount anyway, because Carter Hart can't play every game when they're playing four times a week every week for a month. But the idea that Elliot should, you know, it doesn't, you could argue that Elliot deserves the starting role based on his play, but that's irrelevant to me because he just can't handle it in my mind. You can't trust him to handle it physically. I get it. I get it. Because I've made all these points multiple times on this show and on post game. What if it's just one of, and I'm not, I'm moving past the becoming his net thing for the regular season. I am saying, however, what if it's just one of those crazy years where a good goalie plays awesome? Like, is there any scenario in your minds where he's the game one playoff starter? No. I mean, unless Carter Hart gets hurt. Carter uh, Hart gets completely, hurt, yes. Both completely healthy. I, I could, I don't think it's, it's completely out of the realm of possibility if Elliot finishes the season with a 930 save percentage that Vino goes in the playoffs and is like, we're doing a tandem. You know, kind of like the way the Islanders did it, you know, where the Islanders would flip-flop between, um, you know, between Varlamov and Grice, um, depending upon the situation. I could see that. I do not see Elaine Vino going into the playoffs and saying, Brian Elliott is my number one and I'm playing him for a seven, the entirety of a seven-game series because, again, I think they understand that he's 35 years old, his body will break down, and inevitably the returns are going to diminish, and then we're going to have to go to Card Carter Hart anyway. So I don't see that. But, yeah, I could plausibly see a scenario where Brian Elliott starts game one if Carter Hart at the end of the season has an 
95 save percentage and Elliott's up at 930, sure, it's about winning games. And I don't expect that to be the case. I'm just saying, what if it's one of those years we see it happen with goalies? Like, it never happens here, but we see it happen every fucking where else where some pretty good goalie has an awesome year. There, I I don't disagree with you that that's a thing that could be happening, but the problem with Elliot is that it's a ticking time bomb health-wise. I know. And if you push it too far, then all of a sudden you don't have two good goalies. You have one good goalie and an AHL goaltender for who knows how long, and that's not great. I've just really grown schedule. I've just really grown to respect this old fuck. I love like, him with my life. I know I know you do. You're you're his biggest fan. I just like as someone who was like ant on him for a while, like I just he's really uh he's really impressed me this year, obviously, but I've just really grown to respect the guy and the role he's taken on with this team. Alright, we talked about the schedule, and it is not just the goalies who are going to be affected by this schedule. Um I think kind of every one-game lineup decision needs to be viewed through the lens of 40 games in 70 days. Like, that's a thing. It's it's hard to do. This is a very physical sport. Uh, and it, it, like, it should also influence, like, potential other decisions that we'll get into in a few minutes with a guy named, like, Zaid Wisdom. But, hmm. like, let's start with the, like, the Phil Myers decision to mm-hmm. sit him on Saturday. Um, I don't... Like, it's not even, we had a, Broad Street Hockey put out a tweet. I want to read it here so I can, uh, the point I'm trying to make, I can get across here. Uh, It says, looks like Phil Myers is back in, which means we can all calm down about that one particular transgression now. And then followed up with, LOL, JK, we will never calm down. I made that tweet. I, yeah, I I'm figured you did. It sounded, it sounded like you. Uh, but here's the, like, yes, it seems like in the past, this is something we would freak out about. But to me, every single game decision now is not about, like, uh, there's very little this guy could do, Elaine Vigneault, that would, like, make me freak out at this point because they are in such a fucked up schedule situation, basically is what I'm trying to say. Like, I don't see this as a transgression sitting Phil Myers for a day in the first of two. I was thinking about this a lot today, actually. The problem is that sitting guys for rest in hockey is, like, not a normalized thing. It's not a thing, yeah. They sit down because they're being punished. Like, that's the the instant assumption that's made by everybody is that if a player is sitting, it's some kind of punishment or the coach thinks that he's worse than whatever player that he puts in in his place. And it would be really nice, especially in a year like this, if we could just normalize the idea of load management. Like, maybe Claude Giroux sits three or four games because he's getting up there. Of these 40. Yeah, and we want him to not get hurt, and we want him to be fresh in the playoffs, but the thing that's going to happen is everybody, media, fans, whatever, is going to freak the fuck out the second you sit somebody down, and I don't really know how you fix that problem. Well, I mean, the the easiest way to fix it is for the teams to just say that this has nothing to do with his play. This is, we're sitting him for a day of rest, which they obviously didn't say with Phil Myers. They danced around the topic, which tells me that this wasn't... There was something else there. I don't doubt that there was an element of, you know, he could use a day off and we're about to deal with a really busy schedule. We don't have much practice time. So if I'm going to try to get a message across to a guy, 
you know, maybe sitting him a game is the better way to do it given the circumstances. But like, I do believe he was sat because they weren't happy with the way he played on Wednesday. And that was the driving force behind why he was sat, which I don't love. I mean, he didn't play well on Wednesday without a doubt. Yeah, he was, he was real bad around the front of the net. Real bad. Like, you know, you're a six five guy that is stronger than everyone on the ice. You should not be letting Chris Kreider just own you That's in fair. front of the net. Yeah. So he was not good, but he's still one of your best defensemen. I, I didn't like them them sitting him by any means. But I am very much in favor of the idea of playing it safe with some of these guys, you know, over this next stretch, give them some days off. But if you're gonna do that, you know, if you're Elaine Vino, you have to communicate that to the media. And I mean, and to the I'm, players. Like, obviously, I'm biased because I'm a media member. I'd love to, you know, have communication lines being great. But, like, it's important because you don't want it to become a fucking thing. Yeah. You really, you don't want, like, shit. Like, the, I didn't have a problem with them scratching Travis Connecting. I thought it was justified. But the one thing I didn't like about it is how it, it, it sparked the narrative that Travis Connecting is bad. And that something needs to be done about Travis Connecting. And that annoyed the shit out of me. And that's what happens when you scratch guys. You spark, you, you allow all the skeptics of that player to come out from their caves and be like, see, I was right. He actually sucks. But here's so the thing. You, so if you're going to bench a guy, you got to communicate that, like, it's not because of his play. It's because, or maybe it's because of his play to a point, because maybe you're like, hey, Claude Giroux has struggled for the last two, three games. We've identified it's because he's a little tired. So we're sitting him, not for a remedial standpoint, but because we want to get the best version of Claude Drew back. And we've identified the best way to do that is to give him two or three days to catch his breath. But you have to communicate that or else people's imaginations are going to run fucking wild. Here's the thing. To me, like, as long as the message is sent in the locker room that, like, this is how we're doing it, it doesn't fucking matter what Joe Blow42069 on Twitter thinks. Fair. Like, it, it, who gives a shit what... Uh, I'm sorry, Charlie, but, like, if your articles are, like, what's sparking shit in the locker room, then this team has way bigger problems. Like, That's it's... fair, but, like... I, and I'm not criticizing you. You're, goes, I just don't want to name beyond. another beat writer, like, other than you. <laughs> like, it goes beyond that, though, because, like, look, when Travis Konechny got scratched, immediately that was a national fucking story. Yeah. On yep. Hockey Night in Canada, Elliot Friedman was talking about it. Bob McKenzie was talking about it. Like, this, and then then if you're a player, you have all your friends and family fucking calling you and texting you, like, what's going on? Are you okay? What's the deal with the coach? What's going on? Do you want to leave this, this city? Like, it's just shit that a player doesn't want to have to fucking deal with. Like, I've gone through it. We've all gone through it in jobs. Like, if you're not happy and there's shit going on at work, it's going to affect how you feel. Mm-hmm. And it's probably going to affect how you play. So I prefer them not to have to deal with that shit. Like, yeah, some of it's media driven, but it doesn't mean it's not it's not real. It doesn't mean it's not frustrating. Yeah. Oh no. Like, you know, it, it, and that's even the case for people in jobs where there aren't literally millions of people paying attention to every single fucking thing that you do. And uh, what the hell was I going to say? Oh, they need to normalize it for the players being rested. Absolutely. Like whether it's through the media, whether it's in the locker room, they need a way to properly communicate it. But I think the load management goes beyond the players they're resting. It's also about the guys they're getting into the lineup. We just saw a situation where they had like six guys in the lineup who had no fucking business being in it. They, 
this is a year it, with this schedule and what's going on in the world, guys are going to miss games. Maybe large chunks of the roster are going to miss games. You need to not be putting out a subpart. Like, obviously, there's no replacing Sean Couturier. There's no replacing Claude Giroux. Like, there ain't nothing you can do about that. But you need guys who know what the fuck to do when they're out there. The only way to do that is to get them some reps, get them into these games that you're giving other guys days off, I think it kind of goes hand in hand. Like, you're going to need backups ready to go, and the only way to do that is having them have played in the game with some of these NHL teammates. Yeah, that's fair. Th- that actually is, it, it, it's interesting you brought that up, because that does call to mind something that, you know, a lot of people, I think, were freaking out about those post-COVID games because they were losses. They were, you know, particularly in the case of the Outdoor game, they were ugly losses. And that wasn't necessarily what I was really freaking out about. Like, my main concern was, like, God, I hope Hart can figure this out because that's something that needs to be done. But one worry that did pop up and has popped up for me, you know, as the Flyers have dealt with these injuries, is I do do worry that the Flyers, like, I'm not talking about their NHL team. I think the strength of the NHL team, particularly up front, is its depth. They can roll four lines you know, of legitimately above average NHLers. I am a little worried that the group behind that might not be as good as I thought it was. That, like, I thought, you know, Andy Andreoff's not great, but, like, you could throw him in there for a few games and he'll hold his own. And, he's like, no Corbin may- Knight. Maybe he can't. Maybe he's just bad. And, and, and you know, that Carson Terensky and, and David Kasha and those guys, like, maybe they're just not that good. And if they're not, then suddenly staying healthy with the big guys becomes even more important because they don't have these waves of viable NHL talent like I kind of thought they did in the waiting in the wing. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, and that's... Oh, go ahead, Kelly. I was just going to say is, I mean, I think it's the reason that we all have that in our head is because for so long they did. But now they're all they're NHL here. players. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you know, that is kind of a good problem to have. But, I mean, like, are there really any teams that could replace six players with viable NHL talent? No. Yeah. And that's, no. like, but, especially but, but I, those guess, six. Yeah. But I guess I was hoping that, like, the third and fourth lines that they were rolling post-COVID wouldn't combine for, like, .06 expected goals in their 15 minutes of ice time. It didn't the one line literally created fucking nothing. (laughs) Didn't the one line have zero shot attempts in the, it was unreal. Like Like, they they were literally never had the water. It was bad. They were Samuel Moran is not an NHL forward. He's not Charlie. They were, they weren't treading. They were drowning. There was no, they were, they they were, they were done. They were doing the dead man's flu. So, like, is is this an issue of the talent not being there or the team not choosing the right players to bring up? Because you can't tell me that there wasn't a better option at forward on the Phantoms than Samuel Moran. I, I mean, maybe there wasn't because the next oh, guy Oh, they were all hurt, taxi, though, weren't they? Matthew, the next yeah, guy that was the... taxi was Matthew Strom, who's barely an AHL. <laughs> yeah. Like, they, no, yeah, but, like... They have, they have some AHLers that are probably better than the guys who were getting ice time. But none of those guys are on NHL contracts. Yeah. Like, they couldn't just bring those guys up without signing them to a deal. Yeah. Like, um, I gotta gotta tell you, this Max Willman character 
who yeah, he's, is he's scoring he's for the push. Phantoms in my head until like I looked him up on Saturday. He's been Mason Millman in my head. <laughs> and then I realized they were totally different guys. Me too. I saw that and I was like, did somebody type Millman wrong? Like, what's, yeah, I was like, who happening? the fuck? Max Willman. Yeah. The, the draft pick. And then I looked okay. it up. I was like, oh, no, no, that's Mason. That's Mason Millman. I'm thinking <laughs> about Millman. totally different guy. I assume no, he's, he's like, like on an he's, AHL he's deal. He's pushing for an NHL contract. I mean, I don't know if they're going to give it to him. But he was he's a cool story because he, he I believe he was a, a drafted prospect by another team and then just didn't get signed because it didn't look like he was gonna pan out. And then he popped up at, you know, with the Flyers ECHL team, played really well down there, got an AHL only contract and stuck. And this year he's playing even better. So, you know, he's a little older. I think he's like twenty six. Twenty six. So he's not like quite a prospect. Yeah. But you do wonder if maybe maybe he earns himself an NHL two way deal. It could happen. To me, those are the perfect like those are the perfect guys you throw in on a fourth line. Like twenty six, he's a prime age athlete who like maybe he's just having a great year or two. Like this is the best he's ever gonna play. He won't be here in two years. But guess what? He's gonna give us these two years. Like that's what uh, kind of I'm seeing with that sort of player. And if your options are that or Samuel Moran, like, fuck it. Let's see Max Willman. Yes. Yeah, um, but that brings us to the guy I'm most interested in. Uh, we talked about him last week and he's continuing to kill it. Zade wisdom. Now this is a deep NHL lineup as we just laid out. Like it's tough to crack this lineup. Like who do you like TK's coming back and we're like, do we really want to take out Connor Bunnerman? Like, yes, we do. But you know what I'm saying? Here. <laughs> um, but like, like I said with Elliot, at what level of killing it, do you just have to give a guy a shot and see how it goes? Cause like, Zade Wisdom is at that level of killing it right now. I, again, it's only, it's not a ton of games. It's not a huge sample size. But there's something to be said for an 18-year-old who wouldn't even be a pro this year if not for COVID coming in and, like, putting up big numbers. I mean, if if someone goes down, I would not at all hate the idea of seeing what he can do at the NHL level. Because the the other options aren't very great and at least he's doing something at the ahl level that makes you think he might be able to translate it i don't know though that i would take anyone out of the lineup to give him that shot maybe not take them out but here's what i'm here's what i'm looking at right now there is still no clarity on the uh the ontario hockey league season in kitchener today uh i read the quote while it may be disappointing for fans to be left with a lack of clarity on when the 2021 season could resume uh the ohl will be ready to play as soon as they find out what that season could look like Pointing to the return to play uh, in the NHL and AHL, the focus is on public health. So what you're telling me is we don't know what the fuck we're going to do. That's what I take from that. Mm -hmm. So if you have no idea, and then you just obviously you can let Wisdom play in the AHL as long as you don't have to make a decision. But say they come back. Say they come back around... You know, a month from now, or closer to playoff time. How do you let him go? Like Charlie just said, if Matthew Strom is on our fucking taxi squad, I don't see how this kid, how you don't just call him up. And maybe he doesn't fit into the lineup right away. But if he's doing so well in the AHL, that like I don't see how playing in junior can help him all that much. If it's like, 
I don't know, he's killing it as a professional. Let's let him go back and waste away there while we're running out of guys up here. I don't see a benefit if the OHL comes back to letting him go back, even if it means not playing all that much. Like, isn't practicing and being a professional more important than playing in some league you're too good for? Well, I mean, to be clear, and I think this is an important point to make, it's not because some people have been like, well, why don't you just call Zade Wisdom up to the taxi squad? And well, I do believe they could do that now. They wouldn't be able to do that if the OHL gets started because technically, the taxi squad and the AHL are basically the same thing. Yeah. And the way that the the you know the transfer agreement works with the CHL and the NHL is that unless a guy under the age of twenty is in the NHL, he has to go back to his Stupid. junior team. Stupid. The, the taxi squad would count as basically him not being in the NHL. So they can't do that. If they were going to if they were going to keep They'd have to wisdom, carry him as an extra. They would they would have to carry him. They would not be able to do the bouncing back and forth between the NHL and the taxi like they've been doing with the other guys. He'd have to be one of the 23 guys on the NHL roster. Now, look, as a as a journalist, I fucking love it. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's a, it's a cool that's a great great story. That said, I mean, it's important to remember the kid is still only 18. He's off to a great start. It's awesome. You know, it's an awesome story. It's just, it's awesome for his, his, you know, how we view him as a prospect. Because, you know, for an 18-year-old to be doing this well in the AHL does not happen that often. And he's doing it. And he's a fourth-round pick. So you have to recalibrate. Small sample size be damned. Like, you have to recalibrate your opinion of Zade Wisdom as a prospect because of what he's done. Because guys just don't do this. Like, this yeah. isn't normal for someone to be this good as a pro as a fourth-round pick even if it's in the AHL. So it's important. I'm just worried that he's not quite ready to make two leaps as an 18-year-old. That said, I mean, looking at it purely from a, I want a good story, I would love it if they called him up. It would be great. And like physically, 5'10", 200, he's got NHL size. He's not one of these string beans that has to yeah, fill out. Boy. Like he 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 has he has the physicality. Uh, I wanted to ask like, if you guys were like, no, you can't bring him up. Like, would your opinion be different if he was a first round pick instead of a fourth? Like, and Charlie just kind of hit on it. Like the idea of recalibrating. Like everyone's got their pedigree until the puck drops, and then you see what they do, and suddenly everything changes. You have to recalibrate. I think that's where we have to at least. Start. We have to start circling that idea with Zade Wisdom. Like the organization can't be like, well, he's a fourth round pick. Like eighteen year olds play in this league. Yes, most of them are like top five picks, but eighteen year olds play in this league, and sometimes guys just get overlooked for whatever reason. I read up a ton on Zade Wisdom over the weekend. Like he is a guy who has been overlooked and discounted throughout his life, and suddenly he's on the fucking doorstep of the NHL. I ain't counting. Like I'm not discounting what he's gonna be able to do at some point in the near future yeah i mean somebody somebody on twitter tweeted this and i laughed but also i was like but maybe he's <laughs> like what if shane wright is a product of zade wisdom mm. <laughs> is that because that's the thing like he was on the line with shane wright who is like the next super prospect and they, that's why he slipped as far as he did because his numbers in the ohl last year were quite good it's just that the, the idea was that, oh, he's only scoring because he's the wingman for, you know, the next Uber prospect. It's like, what if instead <laughs> Shane Wright isn't all that good and Zade Wisdom was the one who was carrying that line? Um, that said, like, I'll point this out. I'll make this, this observation because the more I think about it, I, 
I think this is true. Like, obviously, not many people were able to go to to, to Flyers training camp. Um, the media was there, but that was it. There were no fans. So you didn't get people, you know, fans being able to evaluate the players. If Zayn Wisdom was taken in the first round and he delivered the training camp performance that I saw him deliver, he would have been in the mix to make the team. Huh. Like, it, it would have been discussed because he was really good. Like, it surprised me how effective he looked in all those scrimmages that they were playing basically every day to try to get ready for the season in a week. He looked good. Like, did he look like a finished product? No. But if he was the 20th overall pick and he played the way he did in those scrimmages, I would have been writing articles that are like, hey, might Zade Wisdom make this Flyers team? The only reason why I wasn't was because he was a fourth round pick and there was no chance. And I mean, you know, when you talk to people in the organization, it was not even a consideration that Zade Wisdom was going to make this team. But like, if he was taken in the first round, yeah. That's so annoying. The team. This is how we end up with fucking Sam Moran playing wing because we can't give up on a first round <laughs> draft pick. But we can't That's give it. a fourth round draft pick a chance because draft like it's so stupid. Well, it's I but it's not stupid. It like is stupid. I mean I, I mean it's an investment. Sam, like, maybe the Sam Moran thing is stupid. But yeah. there's there's an element of like your priors. You know, your prior belief of Zade Wisdom going into camp was that he was worthy of, you know, maybe the Flyers had him in the second round or a third round grade. But their prior is that this guy is not NHL ready. He needs to work on things. So a week of training camp is not going to convince you if you believe strongly enough in your priors that, well, I've been convinced Zade Wisdom, he's ready for the NHL. I think that would have been process-wise a poor decision, and it would have been reactionary based on a week of camp. But it's also possible in a thought experiment standpoint to look at it and say, if my priors going into camp were different, if my priors were that Zade Wisdom is a first-round talent, and then he goes out there and plays the way he did in camp, then yeah, he would. I think he would have been in the mix because I think he played well enough to be in the mix. And it's just now with how he's playing in the AHL, now our conception of how good of a prospect he might be is rightfully changing. And now we have new priors to inform our decisions about what he can do and what he can't do. That's fair. And like another point, and I'm all for like I want him playing on the fourth line right now. Yeah, but I will say, like, I'm watching highlight sequences, I'm reading about him, I'm reading scouting reports and people who are watching full games and everything, but, like, I I don't know what this guy's doing on a shift-to-shift basis. I'm seeing the highlights, I'm looking at the numbers and going, we could use some of that, but, like, maybe there are, like, holes in his game that it's, like, would be completely exposed at the NHL level that we just haven't figured out yet, because it's only been, what's he played, seven games seven or whatever? Games. I haven't heard Brad and Maddie who pay attention to the Phantoms more than anybody on Earth, as far as I know. Um, I haven't heard them really say that there's any glaring flaw in his game. Oh, there might but, not be. I just don't know. But you're right, though. It, that's at the AHL level, and you never know what's going to happen. Some guys are, you know, outstanding career AHLers, and when they get brought up to the NHL, they absolutely suck. But you yeah, don't I mean, know that until you Peter see White. Peter White's a 50-goal scorer MVP yeah, in the AHL, exactly. and he's barely a fourth. If he doesn't marry Bobby Clark's daughter, he maybe never gets a shot in the never. NHL. Like, Lo- you know. Loved Peter White. Absolutely oh, my God. Peter he was White. a man. Sean McCosh, too. That whole team. Goddamn. All right. That's it. Uh, do we have anything else? Steph's not here, so uh, there's nothing. I don't know. I got nothing. 
All right. Yeah, I think we're good. That is all the time we have for you on Broad Street Hockey Radio this week. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for hanging out. If you haven't already, hit that subscribe button. Just search Broad Street Hockey wherever there are podcasts, and boom, content delivered to you. I don't want to say daily, but, like, basically daily. Especially now. They play every goddamn day, so you'll be, yeah, like, you'll be hearing a post game and, like, a checking at least. Like, there'll, there'll be something. Uh, yeah, so that's it. Thanks, uh, thanks a lot. Uh, yeah, download it, leave reviews, etc. For Steph, for Charlie, for Kelly, have a great week, everybody. Are you ready to talk about sports? Yeah! Who's gonna score hockey goals? Our team! No one does more hockey than our boys! The Flyers! It's 2023 and you're still looking for a baseball podcast? What's up, party people? Danny Vietti here from the Wake and Rake podcast. Yes, I know the name of our show freaking rocks. Join World Series champion Will Middlebrooks and I as we banter about the best of the best from Major League Baseball, including power rankings. One of the best players of all time. Headlines. Solidifies a dynasty. And special guests. Reese Hoskins. Stroh Show. Jose Trevino. Listen and or watch every episode of the Wake and Rake podcast, available on all your favorite listening platforms and the all-new Believe Sports Channel. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New New episodes of Fly on the Wallin' drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallin' wherever you get your podcasts.